Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is also brought to you by Blonde Grass Camouflage Systems. Welcome to the most realistic, durable, and versatile camouflage system available. Tired of constantly having to rebrush your blinds? The smell of rotting grass in your blind? Or grass that pokes and cuts? Or grass mats that have no depth in color and don't last throughout a season? No more cutting brush. Our patent-pending blind grass will not rot or mildew and is 100% waterproof. It's available in mats or bundles for any application, whether you have a permanent blind, a boat blind, or a small layout blind. And it comes in natural dead grass colors. And it's paintable to match your unique surroundings. You can visit us on the web at www.blindgrass.com to place your order today. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless wash and wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP for 20% off all SRD20 products today. Hey everybody, good evening and welcome to an all new episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Robery. And if you have taken the time to join us this week, guys, thank you so much. We appreciate having you on the show with us and we are excited to be back. And when I say we, it's actually not we this week. I am solo this week. I'm on the road, so we're going to be talking waterfowl hunting with you guys, and we have a lot to cover on this week's show, guys. We have a lot that's been going on, and uh, if you follow us on any of our social media platforms, you know that we have been on the road. It has been a very, very busy second half of the season here in Louisiana for us and our crew, and uh, and we're going to cover all that kind of where we've been, what's been going on. And kind of, kind of fill you guys in on, on, on what a season has been so far and what we're seeing out there in the field. So there's a lot of stuff to cover, guys, because like I said, we have been on the road quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I was telling a friend just the other day we were talking about the season. And, you know, I have a core group of guys that I talk to. And I'm sure many of you are the same way when it comes to who you share your information with, uh, especially, you know, that valuable information as far as in regards to specifics to your hunts and that type of stuff. But I told, I told my buddy the other day, I said, you know what? <clears throat> it has been an exceptional season, in my opinion, here in Louisiana and all of us down in the southern regions of the United States and the lower ends of the flyways. Uh, and we've talked about why that's been, you know. But I said if the season ended today, I would be really happy with the way it went down this year so far. Uh, and the way we executed kind of our game plan, so to say. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, if you follow us on the podcast or you follow us on social media, we talked about things that we learned over the last couple of years. And, 
you know, you always want to build each season from from season to season. You want to build on those experiences. You want to improve on things that you look back on and you say, okay, well, we did it this way, but we could have done it this way and been more successful. And the great thing about having a social media presence and having a channel, you know, a YouTube channel and having social media, Facebook and Instagram presence and that type of stuff and filming, you know, recording, you know, talking about all this stuff from year to year is that we use it also as a scouting tool to look back on what we did or, you know, the patterns of the birds at certain times of the season. You know, uh, all that information is extremely valuable. And to be honest with you, when I started this whole last stop waterfowl outdoors experience and journey several years ago, that's what it was all about. It was about documenting, you know, basically creating a journal through video and through audio from season to season and kind of being able to go back and look at that information and improve each season upon what we had the, the, the years prior. And, uh, and you know, now it's even more of an enjoyable experience for me. I'm more motivated than ever than even when I began doing, you know, the, or on this journey, I should say, because that's what it is. Because now I got Jackson, who, if you guys follow us, you know Jackson's my oldest son. Jackson's turning 14, and, and he is absolutely in love with waterfowl hunting. He shares my passion uh, as much, if not more, than I share I share it, you know, with all of you. And, you know, at his age, to be acclimated and be on the hunts and the experiences that he's got to have at an early age is only something I could have dreamed about when I was a kid coming up waterfowl hunting with my grandfather and waterfowl hunting with my dad. I didn't get to go on nearly the hunts and the places that he gets to go as as a youth hunter. And, uh, and then now, since he's contributing to our platform, you know, whether it's through social media, through video, through audio, he's, he's on the podcast with us this season more than you guys have heard him in previous seasons because he's, he's gaining an interest. He's, he's drawn to it now. Um, and he's met so many friends over the last two seasons that he's got to become, you know, close to and got to share conversations with and, and just, you know, got to go on hunts with. All that type of stuff, he just enjoys it. He appreciates it. And honestly, I'm so proud of him. I've mentioned that many times before, how proud I am of him. And to see the evolution of him becoming the hunter that he is, you know. But uh, it's also, on the flip side of things, it's, it's rewarding to me as a father. It's rewarding to me as a hunting partner of his. Because, man, we're, we're a, we're a tight knit group, me and him. And now my youngest son, he came on a couple of hunts with us. He's going to be coming up here in the next couple of years, hopefully. And hopefully, you know, if I'm blessed and continue to be blessed like I've been with Jackson, he'll have that, that, that passion for the sport and he'll want to, you know, also share more and more in these experiences that we're having. So. Like I said, if it ended tomorrow, this season was done tomorrow, guys, I could look back at it. I could say, hey, it's been a very memorable season. It's been a very productive season. Uh, the waterfowl, Mother Nature, everything has cooperated with us down here in Louisiana this season, it seems like, in order to make it, uh, make it a memorable season for most of us that are out there hunting this year. And, uh, and, you know, I talked about, you know, We've been on the road quite a bit, 
And that's an understatement. You know, during the first split, I had talked about on a previous episode that we had touched just about all the corners of the state here in Louisiana. And uh, we had went, you know, started out for youth season down in the western portion of the state. We went on over to the southeast portion of the state. We went up, you know, for opening weekend of East Zone Duck season. We were up in north Louisiana, up around Monroe in the Russell Sage area. Uh, so the only area we really haven't covered this year was the north northwestern part of the state. Uh, but besides that, guys, between there, we have been all over. And, and that's kind of what we decided it, t- it took heading into this season for us to be successful, for us to utilize our time the best we could. Uh, because our schedules are like many of you probably. We don't just have unlimited time to be able to hunt every day. And I, although I wish... I wish I was retired. I wish I had that time uh, to be able to hunt all 60 days of the season. Unfortunately, we can't do that. You know, realistically, we can't do that. Let me say that. Uh, But we do utilize the days that we can hunt as best as we can. And that was a major goal of Jackson and myself's uh, plan heading into the season this year. We said, you know what? We are not going to stick with old habits. We are going to stay mobile. We're going to go where the birds want to be, and we're going to put in our time scouting to try to make the best hunts that we can this season. And that's what we've done. You know, that's that's really and honestly the truth. That's what we've done. Uh, you know, we do, you know, correspond with other people, but let's just be honest. You know, everybody tries to hold on to what they have that's successful as best as they can. They're not going to share it with a lot of people. Um uh, you know, and, and and I respect the hell out of that because I understand exactly how that is. I can't tell you how many times on our social media platforms uh, we get messages uh, because we put out a video and they'll say, hey, man, you guys, you know, had a lot of success. Or, hey, man, enjoyed the video. Uh, you know, and they're, they're kind of trying to see, you know, what information they can get out of you or everybody nowadays is guessing on where you are. If you are successful, people are going to want to, get information from you and that's just how it is and that's fair that's human nature you know and and i have no problem with that but we all know how that is you only give up so much information with certain people and then you 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 share that core bit of information that makes those hunts successful with maybe just yourself you may keep it to yourself you may share it with one hunting buddy or you may share it with a small group of hunting buddies that you all hunt together and uh and that's just the way it is but the great thing about being on social media and having a presence, being a, a you know a, a, a creator of content and putting it out there for everybody to see, is that we do get to help people that are trying to break into the sport. I love that portion of it. That's a very rewarding aspect of doing what we do, and and being able to kind of give back and help other people that are trying to break into the sport. Uh, because I'm going to be honest with you, you know, there's a lot of people that contact us and other friends of ours that have, you know, uh, social media presences on, on, you know, social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the big ones, you guys know them. And there's people that are afraid to reach out to maybe their own hunting buddies that they're kind of getting into duck hunting and they're embarrassed to ask their buddies a question or, you know. They might not have nobody to be able to reach out to. 
So they come to platforms like us and other platforms like us, uh, whether it's on YouTube or, or, you know, through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be. And they feel comfortable reaching out and contacting us and saying, hey, I watched your content. I listened to your content. Uh, I really agree with what you said. And I kind of like, you know, what, what you're doing. And I have questions that I'd like you to maybe answer for me if you could. And that's the most rewarding thing for us as a content creator, in my opinion, is to be able to kind of communicate with those people, give back to those people and, uh, and discuss this sport that we love so much because it, it really is a passion, man, to wake up at two in the morning, to wake up at, you know, two thirty, three o'clock <clears throat> to go get in line to hunt public land or even sleeping in your trucks overnight. You know, those of us that have slept in our trucks overnight to get a public land duck hunting spot, man, that's not made for everybody. You know, I got friends that look at us and I've mentioned this before and they say, you are absolutely out of your fucking mind to do that. You know, and, and they're right. You have to be a little off to do what we do as waterfowl hunters, to love it that much, to pursue it and continue doing it that way. And, uh, you know, it, it's just something that you can't explain to someone who hasn't ever experienced that before and hasn't been a part of that brotherhood. So, yeah, it is something that's crazy. We do some some absolutely insane shit as waterfowl hunters, but it's something that everybody kind of understands that loves the sport, you know? And uh and now, you know, you got younger generations coming up and there's always a new generation that's coming up behind that one that's trying to learn the right way to do things and it's up to us to pass that information on to those generations coming up, you know, and I've talked about that a lot in previous episodes, how I find that's very important to do. But looking back at this season, guys, second split, man, it has been kind of insane, you know, for us. We have not stopped. Um, I can tell you the difference between a good season and, you know, a not so good season is in the past, you may have kind of hit a point where you, you were on burnout mode, you know, and, uh, and I know I was guilty of that where things got stale, just wasn't a good season, wasn't a lot going on, especially in the last decade here in Louisiana. Uh, you know, last year we had some momentum with last year, kind of had a good season for us, our crew heading into 2023. We were excited. We saw some things we wanted to improve on. Like I mentioned, we kind of put a game plan together before the season, Jackson and myself and, we executed the game plan as best as we could so far. You know, we're not over yet. We have a month left. So we still, we still in the game. The game's not over, you know, so we're still doing our best there, but you know, <clears throat> it's been tough the seasons before that. And a lot of us could agree with that. Um, we, we went through some hard times. A lot of us throughout the flyways, the bottom of the flyways went through some hard times and nobody will deny that. But you look back at, you know, you look back at the first split of this season, things kicked off really well here in Louisiana. A lot of successful hunts that you were hearing guys talk about. There were a lot of birds down here early. So in the second split, when we had that week and a half off between, you know, the first half of the season and the second split, we, uh, I, I didn't feel any burnout, to be honest with you. I wasn't at a point where I was like, okay, uh, man, I'm kind of tired. Man, I have been rocking and rolling ready to go. I'm mad at them. 
I'm still mad at him as we as we talk on this episode today. I am I'm ready to roll, man. I I, I want I'm looking at it as the season's been short. That's the way I feel. I kind of got that feeling of man, where did the time go? It's flown by, you know. And uh, I'm I'm mad at him still. I, I'm sure you guys that have had success and you've been on them all season, you probably feel the same way right now because you're motivated to get up, get out of that bed. And go make those hunts. Even on those days where the conditions ain't perfect, you still probably motivated to get out and get your ass out of bed and go. Because you know that your chance of success is gonna be a lot greater than it's been in some of these seasons, these seasons that we went through over the last decade that weren't weren't so much like that, you know? So basically, you know, if you followed us in the first split, we stayed a lot in the marshes here in Louisiana. We were in the saltwater marshes. We were in the freshwater marshes. We stayed heavily on the eastern side of the state throughout the first split. Had success. We talked about that in previous episodes, kind of what was successful for us. So when we were looking at, you know, places to go for the second split, to kick off the second split of the east zone here in the state, we said, you know what? That's the game plan that's been working for us. They had some other areas in the saltwater marshes that we wanted to kind of hit that we hadn't had an opportunity to hit. So we said opening day, we're going to hit one of those areas that we had scouted during the preseason. We had actually jumped up some birds in the first split. And, you know, throughout the first split, we had bypassed this specific area and we had seen birds kind of funneling in there a couple of times. So we knew that it was holding birds basically throughout the first split. We didn't know if anybody had hunted it, but we hadn't seen anybody in that specific area. And without getting too specific on areas, you know, because we're trying to keep that information as close to the vest as possible. I, I know you guys could understand that. We kind of discussed that. Uh, you know, we, we, we basically told and shared that information of what we were thinking would help make us successful with the listeners, with the viewers. So, Jackson and I headed down to the saltwater marshes for the opening weekend of East Zone Second Split. Um, we went down to the saltwater marsh, which honestly we could have hunted other areas, but we wanted to stick with that marsh because the game plan had been working for us, like I talked about. And we said, hey, we're going to hunt opening morning down in the saltwater marshes. Go down there. That's what we did. We went down to this new area that we hunted, and uh, and we kind of set up in there and – you know, we're hoping for the best because it was a spot, like I said, that we hadn't hunted before, but we had seen some movement throughout the first split. And we ended up doing okay. I'm going to be honest with you. We did just okay opening morning. It wasn't one of our, our better hunts this year. We, uh, I think if recalling it, we, we ended up with six birds. I think it was that, that day. And what the species that we had been killing down in those areas were gray ducks, a lot of gadwall. Uh, which has continued to be the story, by the way, here in Louisiana this year. A lot of gadwall in the state. Um, and then I think we might have killed, uh, uh, maybe a buffalo head or something like that, but it was, it was mainly gray ducks. And, uh, we were kind of disappointed. We were like, you know, after that first hunt, we just didn't see the amount of birds that we had seen in and out the first split in that area. And, you know, we were kind of like, well, is it time to pull the trigger, make a move, maybe go somewhere? Because in the past, we have always enjoyed moving to the timber, moving to the woods, second split. When the birds start getting pressured, they've been pounded on first split. 
Um, you know, more birds are migrating now. We had good cold fronts. We had, you know, all the droughts and everything that we talked about that has made it successful this year here in the south, down in Louisiana. Um, you had all those factors kind of playing into in, in, into the situation and the decision-making. And in years past, when you had situations like we have seen this year, going to the woods for us in the second split, whether it was with my grandfather or my dad, coming up, you know, as a youth hunter, I remember that always being good years in the woods, in the temper. So I looked at Jackson after that first hunt, and I, I really, to be quite honest with all of you, I really wanted to go there for, for opening weekend of the second split when we opened up. And I ran the idea by Jackson, and he's like, no, I don't want to go there, Dad. I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the timber. I'm not ready to go to the woods. The ducks aren't there yet. Okay, no problem. You're right. I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, he's probably right. We had a lot of success in the Marsh first split. Let's stick with it, you know. Why would we make a move? Let's, let's just go where we know that we, we've had some success, you know. Well, that first day, like I mentioned, not the most successful hunt, but it wasn't a total failure either, you know. I'll take six ducks every hunt. I'll take that on public land in Louisiana. I'll take five, six ducks, anywhere between five to ten ducks, consistently for two people i will take that i'm not mad at that at all you know um but after that first hunt we kind of looked at each other and he said you know kind of ironically a little 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 bastard i'll call him and uh i could call him that because he's my son i'm just that's a joke of course but he looked at me and uh we on we we had packed up the boat at the at the marina we got on the road and he looks at me and he says dad you know what if we go to the timber tomorrow for that Sunday hunt on opening weekend of second split. And I looked at him and I, I said, you little SOB. I said, uh, I said, dad was trying to get you to go there. We could have went left on Friday, got up to the camp, you know, hunted the timber. We could have had a nice place to sleep at the camp, cooked all weekend, made an event out of it. So where, you know, the alternative was that we didn't have a place to stay down where we were hunting the saltwater marshes. So we were driving from home, which was a good drive for us. Uh, getting on the road, you know, and, and, and it's hard to make those hunts multiple days in a row when you're taking a drive like that, you know. Now, if we would have, if we would have limited out or we would have hammered them pretty good on that opening morning, then yeah, you could bet our asses would have been back on that, on that road the next morning and we would have been going at it hard again, you know, with them, uh, going after them. But that wasn't the case. So he looks at me and he says, Hey, dad, he says, let's, uh, let's maybe head, head to the woods. What's your thoughts on that? And I looked at him and I said, Exactly what I told you. I said, you little SOB. I said, I wanted to go there to begin with because I just, something in my, my, my intuition, my gut instinct told me to, you know, to go to the woods. And I don't know why, to be honest with you guys. I think it's just because, like I mentioned, the conditions that we had had, uh, were, you know, in previous years where we were successful, we're kind of matching up to everything. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Something just told me, Hey, we need to we we need to try to make a, a a timber hunt because we hadn't done it yet, you know. And uh, I said, okay. I said, well, I tell you what, let me make a phone call. I said to a buddy that I trust. We do share some information from time to time uh, with each other, and we talk throughout the season. And I felt, 
you know, he's one of those guys. That's one of your your buddies that you can talk to, and you know he's not gonna, you know, share all the information with everybody, and he's gonna keep it close to the vest. You, you guys know what I'm talking about there, you know. And I called him, and he had, he had, he and another friend had hunted the timber, and he says, "Man, he says, uh, he says, look, you're not gonna believe it." He says, "But we hammered him this morning," and uh, he said, "We had a three man limit that we ended up with this morning, and man, we had a lot of fun." He said, "More birds." that I've seen in years, he said, down in these areas. And, uh, man, I, he kind of got he kind of got me pumped up, and I looked at Jackson, and, and we started laughing, and he starts laughing. He says, man, he says, I guess I shouldn't have pushed you to go to the marsh. We should have went to the timber. And I said, well, you, you don't know. I said, you just don't know how that turns out. And it could have been, it could have been, you know, a, 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 a missed situation where, you know, one or the other wasn't producing, and that's just the way it is, you know, especially on public land. So that didn't, that really didn't uh, have to push us very much more to make that call to head to the, head to the camp, go to the timber the next day. And, uh, and we were going to try to get in the woods and start making a hunt. And that's what we ended up doing guys. And that second day that, that, that we went, which was that Sunday of opening weekend of second split, we went down to the, to our camp. We slept there overnight. Uh, what's pretty cool about that area that we went to is that people get in line early. They get in line the night before. And you can bet the, the the guys that were in line first trying to get that hole again was the buddy that I had called that gave me the report that they had limited out uh, the day before. So they got in line. They basically got out of the woods, got in line, and went secure their spot to hunt their same hole the very next morning uh, for that Sunday morning. And they ended up working a shift where uh, – you know, they got in line and they, they took care of what they needed to do. One guy stayed while another guy went, got food, did what he had to do. And, and stuff that we used to do when I was a lot younger, I'll be honest with you. They just, they, they, they did the same thing that we used to do. So, uh, we went over to the camp. We went over in line, kind of, uh, talked to them for a little while, shot the shit with them and, uh, had a, had a, had a, you know, good time with them. And that's, it's one thing I really miss about, those uh situations when we used to sleep in the truck and stuff overnight man you get in line with a group a group of other hunters and everybody would just have a good time share information talk and uh and just have a good time you know so we went we did that and then uh you know i told him i said man i'm getting too old for this getting in line stuff i'm not sleeping in my truck i got a camp right here down the road we're gonna go get get a little bit of sleep tonight and we're gonna come get in line and kind of let the cars fall where they may, you know, as far as where we get a spot and which blind we're going to be able to hunt. So we ended up kind of surprising me, you know, what, what was surprising that next morning when we woke up and we went, we got in line and uh, there wasn't nearly as many hunters as I thought there was going to be. As a matter of fact, that's probably the least amount of hunters for an opening weekend, whether it's first or second split, don't really matter, that I've seen in line in the, in this area that we were in quite some time, quite many, many years, I'd say. So I was kind of, I was kind of shocked by that, especially with this, the amount of birds they had said they had saw the day before with the, uh, with the success that on some of the hunts I had heard guys say they had, it's almost like some of the guys just kind of were at that burnout stage, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what it is to be honest with you. It's kind of been weird in that area, this specific area that I'm referencing, uh, this year, it's not as much pressure as I've seen in the past, but other areas that we've hunted throughout the state, my God, there are hunters everywhere. You know, we got spots that are 35, 40 minutes, maybe an hour from the house right here, which we call some of, of our local spots 
that I'll cross it during the week going to work and there'll be 20, 25, 30 boats at the launch this season. And I'm still seeing 20 boats right now and we're in January, you know? So hats off. That tells you, you know, hats off to those guys. That tells you that they're having success, that the, uh, they still mad at them kind of like we are. And, and many of you that are listening to this episode, you probably still mad at them like we are because, Hey, you still listening to us talk about waterfowl hunting in January of 2023. So you kind of get where I'm coming from there. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been crazy, you know, to see how many hunters have been out there this year on all the public land that we've hunted this year. But, uh, but this, this specific area that we hunted, it's, it's the opposite. It's kind of been down with the amount of hunters, which I'm not complaining about at all. I'll be honest with you. So we ended up going that second day. We drew a good blind. We were able to get to a blind that we, uh, that we knew quite well. And, you know, we get out there and, you know, it's that, it's that typical situation when things are good. You had birds flying before shooting time, legal shooting time. You could hear them flying over us, over the spread. We had a couple of ducks land in the spread, get up and leave. Um, just birds in the area. So we ended up being pretty excited going into that, that hunt that Sunday morning, we felt like we had made the right decision. And, uh, and we ended up turning out that we did make the right decision. We ended up with a two man limit pretty easily. I think we had wrapped up by, uh, right around seven fifteen, seven thirty. we were out with our limit. And, uh, and that's, that's one thing. And I'm not saying that to brag, Oh, out by seven fifteen. you know, that's something that I always laugh at when I see guys make a post and they'll be like, limit by six thirty, limit by, you know, six Oh five, you know, and you know, some of them, it's, it almost seems like they, they, they got their limit five minutes after legal shooting time. And I always laugh at that because that doesn't, that, that to me is not as important, I guess. That's not something that, that that, you know, yeah, it's good. I get it. I get the point that, man, you did well. There was a lot of birds and you did your job, you know, but part of the excitement and the fun for me is seeing the birds, you know, when that sun hits that marsh or that sun hits those treetops in the timber and you get a good visual of birds working and coming in and you get to work them in. I enjoy the hunt. So, I like a little bit longer hunt and I know that may sound crazy to some of you probably, but I, I enjoy the hunt. I enjoy being out there. I don't want to wake up at two o'clock to go get in line to be done in five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is. And then I'm, I'm, I'm I want to pack up and go home. And maybe some of you disagree with that. Maybe some of you enjoy that. That's the way you like to hunt me. I'm just the opposite when it comes to that. I I like to hunt late. I like to see big birds work late, especially years where we got mallards and we got gadwall, we got widgeon, puddle ducks, all that type of stuff. A lot of times on public land, those birds will show up later in the morning. And I, I've had a lot of success later in the mornings. And I like that. So I don't want to sound like we're picky because AO will pass on teal or I'd rather pass on wood ducks to shoot, you know, those. But when it's a good season, I kind of find myself doing that, to be honest with you, a little bit, you know, and you'll hear me say, oh, I'm not going to pass on a certain species. And that's 99.9% of the time. That's exactly true. I mean, what I'm telling you there. But when we have a good season like we've had this year and we have those those trophy ducks, like I talk about, that's those ducks you want to hang on the wall. 
you know, you want to mount that widgeon or you want to mount a big greenhead mallard or you want to mount a beautiful full plume gadwall, you know, Drake gadwall. When you have those seasons, which we've had the opportunity, you see those birds showing up here in Louisiana this year, um, then it's kind of fun to me to make those hunts last a little longer, you know, with the hopes of having those birds work in a little bit later or enjoying watching those birds work in. And, uh, and I just enjoy being out there, but that morning we had wrapped it up at about seven fifteen, seven thirty, And I told Jackson, I said, look, we were hunting Monday and Tuesday also, because that was the week of Christmas. If I, or was it the week of Christmas? I'm not exactly sure, but I had a couple of days off that week. And, uh, and I, I told Jackson, I said, let's go ahead, pick up the decoys and get out of here. I said, I want to take the pressure off of this spot. We hadn't seen any other hunters try to go in there. Uh, and that's what we did. We got out of there and it ended up paying off for us because we, you know, even though we didn't hunt that specific blind the next day, we were hunting another timber hole that wasn't very far from it. And we didn't want to make a lot of racket. We didn't want to make a lot of commotion. We wanted to keep it undisturbed as long as possible to the next morning. And it ended up paying off for us. We had a couple of good hunts a few days in a row. And, uh, and man, it was just, it just all seemed to come together to be honest with you. So pretty awesome opening weekend. Um, you know, and, and the plans were to do a podcast to sit here with you guys and, and kind of recap like I'm doing now opening weekend. I always like to do an episode when it's opening weekend of the first split and opening weekend of the second split. I like to recap that with y'all. But the truth is, is that from that point on, we just kind of kept rolling. We never really stopped. We ended up, we ended up going over to, um, to the Western portion, back to the Western portion of the state. We, uh, we were invited to go with our, our, our buddy, Lance Coco of Go Devil Manufacturing, him and his son, Blaze. Blaze is a good friend of Jackson's. They actually play baseball together. And of course, us being a Go Devil dealer at my boat dealership that I work for, um, and knowing Lance and sharing a passion for waterfowl hunting. We've struck up a, you know, a friendship over the last couple of years. And, uh, and we got to go for a youth hunt with them down at their place in Hackberry during the youth opener, uh, during the first split of the season. Um, and, and he had called me up and he said, Hey, he says, I got a buddy of mine. He has 600 acres of, of, you know, agriculture down in Kaplan, Louisiana. He said, uh, would that be something that you and Jackson could break away and come hunt? He said this week. So, man, when he told me that, I'm like, hell yeah, it's been a while since I've been in the rice fields. Um, you know, I grew up cutting my teeth in waterfowl hunting in rice fields. You know, I grew up in Evangelion Parish. That's all we had growing up was rice fields. Uh, you did some woods hunting, you know, a little bit of timber hunting. But a lot of it was agriculture. A lot of it was pit blind, rice field hunts, you know. And, uh, and Jackson never has had that experience. He never had that opportunity to really go because we've been gone from that area for so long. He wasn't, he wasn't even born anywhere close to our rice field, uh, growing up here in Gonzales, Louisiana, you know, everything's sugarcane and marsh and, you know, that's it, pretty much the, uh, the closest that he's going to get to a, a rice field is a sugarcane field, you know? So he's never had that opportunity to hunt a rice field. He's always kind of asked questions about that. Uh, and then now since he's getting older, he, you know, he's growing as a hunter. I talked about, he, he wants to do that. He wanted to do that. And, uh, I said, you know what? I said, we're going to take advantage of that. We're going to make this happen. We're going to keep, keep rolling. And, and I have to give a shout out, man, to my wife, uh, you know, God bless her. She has been phenomenal. Um, 
you know, not only this season, but from for years since we've been married. She, my wife, she's so cool with when hunting season comes around. She understands our passion for the sport. She understands that we work all year very hard to be able to have that time to, you know, break away when we can during hunting season and and share this passion and experience these these trips that we get to go on together with now with my sons and she's been awesome but she's i mean she's truly just phenomenal she is the the wife or girlfriend that everybody kind of wants to have uh if you're a hunter and i'm gonna be honest with you i'm gonna brag on her when it comes to that and uh and she's she was like hey i called her i said look i know we've been hunting at the camp we've been in the timber uh, we, we got a call from Lance and blaze. They want us to go over to Kaplan and make a hunt. Uh, would you be okay if we, uh, if we basically leave here and we go there for a couple of days? And she was like, yep, 100%, no problem. Uh, y'all go have fun. Y'all deserve it. You know? And man, I mean, she honestly meant it. You know, how many times when, when you're dating, you get that answer? Yeah, go, go if you want to go or yeah, that's fine. Go. And, and, and you sitting there and you thinking, man, she's, She's telling me to go, but she, she's really pissed off, and she I know she don't want me to go. Well, let me tell you something, especially all you young guys. When you find that one that you settled down with and she enjoys that passion, maybe she wants to go with you, she enjoys fishing with you, she enjoys going on some months with you, uh, or she grew up in a family. Let me say that because my wife... She won't nearly come out in the freezing cold to come hunting with me. She's just not that type. But she loves to go, she loves to go fishing in the summertime. She likes the outdoors. But the key factor with her with hunting season is that she grew up with a dad and a brother who were big hunters. So when you have a, a girlfriend or, you know, a wife that grew up around hunting, a lot of times, man, that, that works in your favor when it comes time to hunting season. So trust me on that. And my, and my wife's just that exactly. I mean, she 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 grew up around it. She understands the passion that outdoorsmen and hunters like us have, and that it only comes around at certain times of the year. And she allows us to enjoy those experiences as much as possible. So, so we ended up leaving there, and we uh we went over to Capital, Louisiana. We joined Lance and Blades. We went up there, man. And like I said, we're hunting 600 acres. We have you know an opportunity to hunt 600 acres of pristine rice fields, uh, crawfish ponds. And Lance's buddy who forms the property, they had been holding waterfowl. They do a little bit of waterfowl hunting on the property, but not probably as diehard as we are and as Lance and them are, um, you know. But uh, they, they had been holding quite a bit of birds during the split and, you know, right at the beginning of the season when the second split opened up, they had been having some success. And, you know, anybody who comes down to South Louisiana, especially Southwest Louisiana, goose hunting is a absolute huge part of waterfowl hunting here in Louisiana in that portion of the state. So it had been years since I had been on a goose hunt, uh, much less a goose slash opportunity to kill some ducks also that's been holding ducks. So, Really was looking forward to that. Jackson had no idea what to expect. Us four went over down to Kaplan. We ended up staying at uh, one of Lance's in-laws, and we got full access to the property down in Kaplan, Louisiana, to be able to hunt. Pit blinds is, is the traditional way that uh, that we hunt down here in southwest Louisiana in these rice fields, and they had a nice pit blind set up that we got to hunt. We got there. 
they had some goose decoys out, and I can tell you that Lance is a big fan of spec hunting. He's a, he's a he's got obsessed with it. I could tell his passion for it, you know, because you got to imagine, you got to imagine the hunts that Lance has been on as an adolescent coming up through the years, you know, being around his father, which is Mr. Warren Coco with Go Devil Manufacturing. And, you know, he was back in the heyday as a kid when Morpaw Swamp was on fire, when they had mallards and, you know, uh, Widgeon and Gadwall pouring into Morpaw Swamp. Um, so, you know, they purchased land down in Hackberry, Louisiana, in the marsh uh, when it was really just phenomenal duck hunting. So he's been on, on really good duck hunts. But I could tell now a big passion that he has is going after geese, you know. And he's learned. He was telling me the stories of how he's learned to call. And he's learned from some of the, some of the greats, you know, the guys down. You know, he mentioned he referenced Riceland calls. He, he mentioned, uh, our good friend, Roland Cortez, who's been on the podcast with us numerous times. He mentioned Roland, how Roland had so much experience and kind of influenced him as well as many others when it came to goose calling and learning how to call geese, you know? And, uh, he told us, he said, he kind of set it up for us. He said, this is what you can expect. He said, and, uh, he said, it's going to be fun. He said, it's going to be fun. We're going to kill some geese. And he said, we might even have an opportunity to kill some ducks too, you know? So, I was excited, man, because like I said, specs, that's some of the best eating that you could have when it comes to goose uh, or just waterfowl in general. Um, I was excited to, to be able to go back and kill some specs like I did when I was younger, growing up in those, in Evangelical Parish. And I was looking forward to that. And we got there. We ended up getting to Kaplan. We got there. We went over to a cool little stop that we made is uh, Swears Grocery and Restaurant. And Swears is is a pretty cool place. If you've ever been to Kaplan, Louisiana, you need to check out Swears Grocery and Restaurant. And what it is, it's just an old old school general store like you've seen back in the days, like back in the Great Depression, you know, back in the 40s, 50s. Uh, those old school wooden general stores with a porch, you walk up on the porch and walk into the store. Swears was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't want to have this wrong, but I think I'm right on this. It was actually founded and opened in the 1920s in Kaplan, Louisiana. And that store is still owned by the Swear family, from what I, what I was told. And it is still operating today. And it's a spot that's right down the road from where we were hunting these, uh, these ag fields. And, uh, we made a stop there to kind of get some drinks, get some food, snacks, that type of stuff. Just a cool, cool experience, almost like you're stepping back in time, guys. You walk into it. It's an old general store, if I could paint the picture like I was talking about. And you walk in there, and they have a little section where you can sit down. You can eat. They have plate lunches that they cook. They, they cook a daily plate lunch. And then you can order off a menu for burgers, stuff like that. What they are known for is their turtle sauce piquant. That's something that Swears is known for. Uh, phenomenal turtle sauce piquant. And they also known for their, their sweets, their bakery, uh, their baking skills. Uh, so pies, uh, little cakes. They had rice crispy treats that were damn near an inch and a half thick in a pan that they cut. They just slice right out on the counter and they sell. Um, so pretty cool place. And we got to go visit that before we headed out for our first hunt. We ended up making an afternoon hunt the day we got there. And it was a good, it was a, it was a good day because it was sunny. The weather was good. The wind was pumping. We had came from the, that hard freeze that we had had a lot of success hunting in the timber. 
Um, you know, breaking ice even. I didn't mention that, but we were breaking ice in the timber when that big hard freeze came through uh, over the last couple of weeks. And when we got to Kaplan, there was a complete shift in the weather system. It was changing. It was going from those freezing temperatures, breaking ice, to a, a hard south wind. We had some rain that was scheduled to come in the next day, uh, which was going to be the second day that we were hunting. And it was going to change things up. So it was going to be interesting to see kind of how that, that, that storm system kind of changed, changed everything up. But, uh, we ended up, we ended up hunting that afternoon, beautiful weather before the storm moved in. And, uh, and we ended up having some success shooting geese. We shot a couple of specks, a lot of snow geese were in the area. Um, we killed even a, a Rossi goose, which is a smaller version. And I'm not a goose expert by any means. So if I say it wrong, guys, don't, don't kill me for it. But uh, uh, to me, what a Rossi is, it's like a smaller version of a snow goose. And uh, I think it's a cousin or it's in the, in the snow goose family, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, we ended up killing one of those, which is a pretty cool looking bird. Um, we had those and we had some ducks. We ended up, we ended up killing quite a bit of ducks. I, I can't, I, everything's running together right now, guys. So I can't tell you specific numbers on those days. I can tell you that we did really well though that afternoon. And one thing that it was lo- absolutely loaded with were the pintail were in the area. So that was kind of cool because Jackson doesn't get many opportunities. Even I don't get many opportunities anymore on pintail. Uh, we do see a couple in some local freshwater marshes uh, that are, you know, not too far from the house that I kind of mentioned a while ago. But as far as hunting in the saltwater marshes and stuff like that, where we hunt at, uh, hunting in the timber where we hunt at, we don't get pintail. That's just not something that we get. We get that come in. Um, and this afternoon in Kaplan, this afternoon hunt was freaking loaded with pintail. We actually all four shot a pintail. We all each got our one pintail, which is what the legal limit is here in Louisiana, one per person per day. We shot our pintail, no problem. We could have limited it out on pintail. That's how many pintail there were. They had groups. If you watch the video, guys, we have some footage of the ducks that we killed and the geese that we killed. And we had pintail. I shot a little short that I posted on Facebook and uh, Instagram, we had pintail groups of them, 25, 30, maybe even more than that. They were still flying when the sun was going down. So we hunted till legal shooting time. We capped it off and we sat there and we just kind of watched the birds do their thing. We we filmed a little bit and uh, we got some footage of of all the birds that were still in the area. But we had a really good hunt that afternoon. And and then we went back. We kind of got, you know, settled back in for the evening, got some supper, uh, and then we were kind of, you know, waiting to see what was going to happen the next morning. So the next morning we wake up, we look at the radar, we woke up plenty early and it wasn't looking good. It wasn't looking good at all. We had a big storm system come through a lot of hail, a lot of lightning, thunder, and a lot of rainfall, a lot of, a lot of bad weather, not something that you really want to get out in, you know, and take a chance of putting somebody in danger. But at the end of the day, we're all waterfowl hunters. We know how that is. If the birds are there, it's going to be hard to talk us out of going. And that's kind of what we were, we were doing. We were trying to talk ourselves into going. And, uh, and we decided we were going to pull the trigger because we were kind of on the edge of the, of the storm, the, the line where the, uh, the storm was kind of moving out of the area. And that's what we ended up doing. We knew we were going to get wet, but we were, we, we thought we could maybe miss a lot of that, that, you know, that severe weather that, that, 
stuff that we were talking about with the hail and the lightning and all that type of stuff. And, and lo and behold, we were very lucky. We missed the majority of that stuff. By the time we got to the blind, uh, right around daylight, legal shooting time, we might've rolled in five minutes late past legal shooting time. But, uh, you know, it was raining. Yes, but we were missing all that severe weather. So we got very, very lucky guys. And it ended up what we thought was going to be more of a success as far as the geese showing up that day, it ended up turning out to be more of a duck shoot for us than, than it was with geese, especially early on in the hunt. So we had, we had ducks showing up. Um, we, you know, we had spoonbill, we had pintail, although the pintail weren't there in the morning, that next morning, like they were that afternoon before, uh, they still had some pintail. We had spoonbills. We had a couple of gray ducks. We had, we had teal, uh, kind of a mixed bag. We had some dogeries that had moved into the area that we hadn't seen the day before, uh, or they may have been utilizing a different part of the fields and the property. And we just didn't see them the afternoon before, but a lot more dogery, uh, that next morning, which we didn't, we didn't really shoot a whole lot of dogery. We passed on some dogery, uh, because we were trying to shoot some other species, you know, so we, we did well with the ducks. They flew for the first couple of hours. We did pretty well on that. And then it seems like the geese started moving a little bit later. So we ended up, we ended up shooting some, uh, another mixed bag with some specks, some snow geese. I think we had more snow geese that day, um, than we did with specks, but we, we still had three or four specks, if I'm not mistaken, maybe more than that, actually. Uh, but we had more snow geese. I know that we ended up with more snow geese and we ended up shooting another Rosses. So that was kind of cool. <coughs> so couldn't ask for a better, a better trip there. An invite from our good friends. We got to spend some time with, um, had a really, really good time. And, you know, when we wrapped up that second hunt, man, it was kind of, well, we need to kind of get home. We need to get home because it was the weekend of Christmas and everybody wanted to be home for Christmas to do their things. Uh, or I'm sorry, New Year's. I said Christmas. Actually, it was New Year's weekend. So, um, that puts us to just this past weekend, basically. So, um, you know, it's been pretty crazy. Like I mentioned, it has been a whirlwind of a second split, you know, going from starting out in the marsh opening day of the season, going, making that move and that decision to move to the timber for the second day. And then throughout that whole week of Christmas into up until just last week, actually, you know, before we made that trip to Kaplan, we were in the timber, had many successful hunts in the timber. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying that everything was days where we were limited out because that wasn't the case when me and Jackson were hunting together. We had several limits that we ended up killing. But we had days where we were killing eight to 10, you know, and that's okay. We're okay with that, you know, because it's once again, public land. You never know what you're going to get there, but we had success. We put a game plan together. It seems like we made the right calls on which blinds and which holes we wanted to hunt. And, uh, and we got to see, a, you know, tons of birds second split so far. So like I mentioned, when I look back at it so far up until this point in the season, which we're now in January, um, you know, I feel like we've done things right. A lot of you hopefully feel the same way. I know a lot of my friends that I see through social media, um, or that I talk to personally every week, a lot of you have had success. A lot of you are having a good season. Um, it's kind of a weird season. It's kind of a weird season in some ways, um, which one of those ways specifically, and this is something that uh, my buddy Nate Verdon over at Fallen Tide TV, he was on a podcast, the last podcast that we got together when we had him and Roland and uh, 
And uh, uh, Nathan Bowden from uh, Golf Outdoors, he was on the podcast with us. Whenever we had got together, Nate made a point. He said, you know what? He said, I find this season, and this was just an idea that he had. He said, you know, it's. I'm wondering if because of the conditions that we had and the lack of water in the upper portions of the flyways and stuff, if a lot of those birds that have made it down to us this year went to areas that were traditionally good years ago. Because what he said he noticed is that some of the areas that he had had success in that were newer areas, not so, you know, rich in history as far as being areas that killed birds. They were kind of newer areas that he had found and had success in over the last couple of seasons. He said his opinion was that they weren't doing as well in those newer areas and that the birds seemed to be in those more historical areas that were known for great waterfowl hunting years ago. So he was saying that he had a thought that the birds wasn't something that was imprinted in their DNA to where they traveled down, back down to those historical areas this year. They were holding to those areas. And I thought that was a really good point because what he saw first split when he made that comment is something that I saw first split and that I had told somebody and actually mentioned it to Jackson. I thought that some of the areas that I had done really well in over the last couple of seasons, specifically last season, let me say that, weren't doing real well this year in the couple of trips we made to those areas. But some of the older, more rich in history areas were holding birds again that hadn't held birds over the last few years. So you kind of get what I'm saying there, hopefully. But I feel what he said there is is holds a lot of truth to it, and uh, and that's something that I also found this year is, is something that's that I've seen as a trend kind of going on. So it's pretty interesting, and we could be way off our rockers, guys. You probably you could be saying, "Oh, hey, I disagree with y'all on that," but you know what? That's just an observation. He made that observation. It's ironic that he made that observation because I had literally talked to Jackson about that when we were sitting in the duck blind and talking about spots that we wanted to hit versus spots that we had scouted and not seen so many birds in, you know, uh, early in the season. So it's just, it's just kind of funny that he made that comment. It's ironic, you know, but I think it holds a lot of truth to it and I can't explain it. I'm not a biologist. Uh, that would be a, a question for a biologist to possibly answer, but I definitely see some of those rich in history uh, areas that were always known for good waterfowl hunting that had maybe tailed off or died off and other areas kind of took their place where the birds were showing up each season that were becoming, you know, areas that were successful for guys to hunt. Um, they kind of flip-flopped this year, you know, and went back to the way it was at one time. So uh, that's kind of interesting. We're going to, you know, look back at that probably at the end of the season when we look at the research and kind of the numbers of what we killed, where we killed, uh, and kind of document. So, you know, we documented throughout the season, but when we look back at those numbers that we documented, that's going to be interesting to t see, you know. So I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, but after the holidays, unfortunately, it was back to work, guys. So we have not been in the blind all week long since uh, since the break. And, uh we uh we are hoping that this weekend we are, I can tell you right now I know that this weekend we're gonna be back in the blind hopefully hunt Saturday and Sunday and uh and we're gonna be back at it guys so 
looking forward to it. And I hope you guys are still at it, having a good time. You're at it and going at it strong. And if you've stayed with us this whole hour, then we appreciate you guys staying on and listening to me babble on. But uh, thank you guys, as always, so much for tuning in to this episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. And we'll do it again soon, guys. Y'all take care, and we'll see you again in outdoors here shortly. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by The Can Cooker. Seth McGinn's Can Cooker is the simplest and healthiest, most convenient cooking system available. The Can Cooker takes the cattle drive tradition of cooking in a cream can and updates it for today's busy lifestyle. Pack the Can Cooker with ingredients and enjoy a mouth-watering, slow-cooked meal in a fraction of the time of normal cooking. Use it indoors and outdoors to cook a healthy meal on any stovetop, campfire, burner, grill, or the new multi-fuel burner portable cooktop from Can Cooker. Visit us on the web at cancooker.com.